This is the scripture for Sunday. The first passage is Malachi chapter 3, verses 1 to 3. I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness. The next passage is from the book of Matthew, chapter 3, verses 7 to 12. 7 to 12. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not think you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. This is the word of the Lord. If there is one thing you can ask God to do for you, what would it be? I thought about it, and obviously in this time and place, it would be to the end of COVID. Well, at least that's the right thing to ask for, because it would not only benefit me, but it would benefit the world, right? So that's the, that's the good thing to ask for, the, the right thing to ask for at this time. But, but what about you? It, what if you, we weren't in this time of COVID? What would be that one thing you can ask God to do for you? What would that be? Would it be a new job or a promotion? Would it be that someone you know who's sick would get better? Would it be that you could uh, lose some weight, have a better relationship with your kids or with your parents or your neighbors? What would it be? And if I think about it, I would like to be without pain. For the last 10 years of my life, I have had chronic back pain. And you know, whenever I tell someone that I have back pain, uh, and I know everyone means well when they're asking me questions about it, but they always say, have you tried this? You know, have you gone and seen a, a physio or a chiro? Have you done this? Have you tried that? And of course, I've tried everything. I've tried everything under the moon, as it were, so that 
I could take this pain away. I've seen multiple physiotherapists, chiropractors, I've done acupuncture, I've tried an inversion table, gotten MRIs, seen specialists, and even had epidural injections, twice. But to no avail, nothing has worked. And we've been in this series called uh, What Lies Beneath and have been talking about the importance of going deeper into our lives and to look beneath the surface in order for us to be more fully integrated in our faith and our emotional maturity. We're looking at this week at the concept of breaking through the wall. We have been using the book Emotionally Healthy Spirituality in our small groups alongside with our current series. And I know that the issues that are covered in this book can be a trigger point for some of you. And if it is, please feel free to either reach out to one of us or even to speak to a professional. You know, but I was thinking about it. In some sense, that's what we want, though, right? We we want to be able to talk about stuff in our community about deep things that matter to us and not just the fluffy, happy stuff. Even though I like fluffy, happy stuff, it's important for us to talk about things that go deep and that matter and that may really make us feel uncomfortable. And one thing, as as we continue with this concept, I want to point out that the purpose of our faith is not to move upward on this growth model that takes us to new heights and new levels. Even in the book, the writer talks about instead of stages, of faith that the seasons are a better term in thinking about our spiritual life. I know we're using this book, but let me assure you that you can disagree with the book and still get things out of the book. So please feel free to disagree if you don't agree. And that's okay. It doesn't mean that there isn't anything good that we can learn from this book. So in this case, I would disagree with the writer about putting our faith into stages, even though he uses uh, seasons, but he also includes stages. And the, because the purpose of our spiritual growth and formation is to grow closer to Jesus and not just to become a better version of ourselves. We're not in stage one and then stage two as if we are in some progressive faith journey, as we know all about stages right now, but rather a journey of following the Spirit of Jesus who leads us deeper into himself and deeper into ourselves within this community of faith so that we can live and be who God made us to be for the world. It is not a way of earning another medal or an achievement unlock on some iPhone app of life, but rather it's a way of being formed by a loving creator. I love the way Nowen puts it. He says, spiritual formation, I have come to believe, is not about steps or stages on the way to perfection. It's about the movements from the mind to the heart through prayer in its many forms that reunite us with God, each other, and our truest selves. It's not about development or maturity. It's about uniting ourselves with God, each other, and our true selves. It's that movement of going back and forth sometimes from from connecting with God, being united with God, and at times being pulled away by things um, 
of the world or things that, um, that, that are unhealthy. So in light of this, what does it mean for us to break through the wall? The, the writer Peter Scazzaro refers to, to the dark night of the soul as the wall. The dark night of the soul is a poem written by St. John of the Cross, who's trying to put into words what happens to people who are on the journey of being united with the divine. The dark night of the soul is not actually the title of the poem. And it's not even the dark night of the soul. Uh, St. John refers to it as just the dark night. And where it's not this dark night of the soul where someone is depressed or suffering an uncurable disease, although it can be taken that way. The poem is about a joyous experience of being guided to God. The dark night for St. John of the Cross is that knowing God is unknowable. And the nights which the soul experiences are two necessary purgations, which means refinements, on the path to, I had to look that up, on the path to divine union. The first purgation is, is of the sensory or sensitive part of the soul, and the second is of the spiritual part. So the poem of St. John of the Cross isn't about some suffering or, or dark night of the soul where we do not feel God's presence anymore, even though there are times that we go through seasons of that, but rather the night through which God will purify and refine us. As we become more united to Jesus, we become more and more refined. So here, when we talk about the wall or the dark night, I want us to reframe it to John's understanding of seeing it as refinement. This idea of refinement is not anything new in the Bible. In the Old Testament, God uses that concept as a way to talk about how God would cleanse and purify his people. It is a way of pruning and taking off impurities. And this is what our passage in Malachi is talking about. Malachi says that there will be a messenger who will prepare the way. And this messenger we know is John the Baptist. John the Baptist is preparing the way for the Messiah who will be like a refiner's fire. He will refine and purify the Levites like gold and silver. So we see this playing out in the New Testament and with John the Baptist. The religious leaders, or Levites of the day, are seeing what John the Baptist is doing. And this is what John says to them about Jesus. He says, He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand. And he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff, with unquenchable fire. Jesus will baptize us with the Holy Spirit and fire. He then goes on to explain, John the Baptist, uh, how this would be by the analogy of the threshing floor. The threshing floor was where the wheat would be hit or, or trampled, on, trampled on over by animals so that the grain would be separated from the husks or the chaff. They would then toss all of it into the air so that the wind will blow away the chaff because it's lighter and leave only the edible grain. And this process is called winnowing. When we are baptized by the Holy Spirit by empire, that is when we are born again in this new relationship with Jesus. 
through the process of baptism. This, by the way, isn't some like second form of baptism by the Holy Spirit, but when we, when we are baptized, as we know, through, through the water, when this happens, we enter into the process in which the Holy Spirit, which is referred to as the wind of God, will blow away the chaff in us and will burn up the chaff. If we look at the Old Testament, God is often referred to as fire. The fire in the burning bush, the fire of pillar by day to guide the Israelites, and the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire. Even in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit is referred to as fire. And in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews, God is referred to as a consuming fire. And Jesus is referred to as the light of the world, which we know comes from fire. So what I'm, say, what I'm saying here is God is fire. I looked up what refinement was, and I thought it was very interesting that refinement is the process of removing impurities or unwanted elements from a substance. It is a process by which you can remove unwanted elements from a substance so that you can use it for a purpose. The term is usually used for natural resources that is almost in a usable form, but which is more useful in its pure form. For example, I read that gas we use is taken from petroleum. But as petroleum burns inefficiently, by refining the substance to its purest form, it can be used better. The call for us as disciples of Jesus isn't to say a magic prayer or a phrase or to become moral or to even be religious. The call for us as followers of Jesus is to die. That is baptism. Death to our old selves or our, our adaptive selves that we've talked about or false selves and being made alive uh, as our true selves in Jesus C.S. Lewis says this. He says, give me all of you. I don't want so much of your time, so much of your talents and money, and so much of your work. I want you, all of you. I have not, I have not come to torment or frustrate the natural man or woman, but to kill it. No half measures will do. I don't want to only prune a branch here and a branch there, Rather, I want the whole tree out. Hand it over to me, the whole outfit, all of your desires, all of your wants and wishes and dreams. Turn them all over to me. Give yourself to me, and I will make of you a new self in my image. Give me yourself, and in exchange, I will give you myself. My will shall become your will. My heart shall become your heart. I have not come to torment or frustrate you, but to kill it or to kill you. God doesn't want to help us become a better person. I don't mean literally kill you in terms of murdering you. It's, it's, it's metaphorical. Uh, but I would also say very um, spiritual and, and is part of our reality that God doesn't want to help us to just become a better person. He doesn't want more of our time or, or what we can do for him or what we can offer up to him. He wants all of us. 
If we look beneath the surface, we know that there are unhealthy habits and attachment to things that we rely on as a way to cope with life. We ignore and hide behind these things and masks as a way to cover up what needs to be dealt with, even if those things are not good for us. There's a story about a boy named Eustace Clarence Scrub. He wasn't the nicest boy in the world, and he almost deserved the name he was given. Eustace Clarence Scrub, that scrub. He was with Lucy and a few others where they enter into this world of Narnia through a picture of a ship called Don Treader. During their time on the boat, Eustace complains and shows his true colors about who he really is and where nobody really likes him. And they become stranded on an island where he is separated from, from the rest of the crew and ends up finding a treasure uh, that a dragon has stored. And the dragon dies, he goes into the cave and finds all of this treasure. He is so happy and ecstatic that he puts on this fine bracelet filled with diamonds on his arm and fills his pockets with all the gold and silver. And he falls asleep. And, and, and this is what happened to him. Sleeping on a dragon's hoard with greedy, dragonish thoughts in his heart, he had become a dragon himself. When he wakes up from his sleep, he realizes that he becomes a dragon and returns back to the ship, terrified and horrified of who he is. The crew are, are, are scared, but then start asking questions about who this person is, and Eustace is able to just like nod and turn his head to, to explain that he is, in fact, Eustace. And while he's in this hideous, hideous just, just bad form of, of this dragon, he um, starts changing. He decides he wants to help people and brings food for the crew and, and is nicer uh, to everyone and starts to become a better person or a better dragon. The boat has to leave and everyone knows that um, eventually they have to leave and the crew are talking about how do we help, how do we bring Eustace with us in this state because he can't fit on the boat. And one night, Eustace goes off and is met by Aslan, this lion, who takes him to a pool that looks really nice and he has this desire to go into this pool because it feels like it would be good for him. And during this whole time, he had the, the bracelet on his arm has been very painful for him because he's become this dragon and the bracelet has been really tight on his arm. And, and, the, and Aslan tells him, in order for you to enter into this pool, you need to take his, your clothes off. And, and Eustace is thinking, I don't have any clothes on. I'm a dragon. But then realizes, oh yeah, dragons have scales. And so maybe what he means is that I could maybe peel off my skin, like layers. And so he starts... And he starts to peel off a layer and takes it off and then wants to go into the pool and realizes that he still has scales. And he does this over and over again and, and nothing changes, that there are more layers under his skin. And in many ways, we live our lives trying to peel off layer after layer of scales that are on the surface. It's hard for us to go deep into the things that are so ingrained and part of who we are 
that we can't ever get rid of that layer. This is where I think the story of uh, Eustace is so profound. In the story, Aslan says to Eustace, you need to let me undress you. Listen to the story. I was afraid of his claws, I can tell you, but I was pretty nearly desperate now. So I just lay flat down on my back to let him do it. The very first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right into my heart. And when he began, to pull, when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I've ever felt. The only thing that made me able to bear it was just the pleasure of the feeling the stuff peel off. Well, he peeled the beastly stuff right off. Just as I thought I'd done it myself the other three times, only they hadn't hurt. And there it was lying on the grass, only ever so much thicker and darker and more knobbly, looking than, other, than the others I had seen. And there was I, smooth and soft as a peeled switch, and smaller than I had been. Then he caught hold of me. I didn't like that much, for I was very tender underneath, now that, now that I had no skin on, and threw me into the water. It smarted like anything but only for a moment. After that, it became perfectly delicious, and as soon as I started swimming and splashing, I found that all the pain had gone from my arm, and then I saw why. I turned into a boy again. Eustace had to get to a place of realizing that he himself cannot peel off enough layers to become anything else than what he was. He was only scratching at the surface. It wasn't until he surrendered and let Aslan dig into him that Eustace was able to become a boy again. The first tear was so deep that I thought it had gone right into my heart. The process that Eustace went through was so very painful because it went into the very core of who he was. Yes, once his skin came off completely, it was then that he was a boy again. I believe this is what it means when John the Baptist says that Jesus will baptize us with the Holy Spirit and fire. As we say yes to Jesus, he invites us to die to ourselves and be made alive in him. If we are made in the image of God and believe we are, and if we are marred or tainted by sin, the more we are in God's presence, the more his presence will burn away those areas of our lives that are not reflective of his image. Yes, it will be more painful than anything we have endured, yet it means the very transformation of our inmost being, that, and that transformation and refining will make us into our true selves. So how does this idea relate to the idea of breaking through the wall? Well, I would say it's not about break, breaking through the wall. It's not ha about having breakthroughs, though those do happen in our lives, and those are important markers for our lives. But rather, and it's not about just always seeking out for breakthroughs, that I need another breakthrough. God, you need to give me another breakthrough. But rather, about the journey, it's, it's rather about the journey of being united with the divine. And in this journey, there will be painful moments, 
hard times in our lives that will feel like the dark night of the soul. We can try to change it, peel the layers off, and do all that we can to get rid of it or get out of it. But like Eustace, Jesus calls us to let him be the one that leads us and refines us. As we live, and th- live in and through our lives, it is to let the fire and the light of the world enter the dark night of the soul and to let him bring light into our darkness. I asked you earlier, what is it that you would want God to do for you? I asked that question because whenever I reflect on that question and respond to it, I realize that it helps me get to the deeper need. When I reflect on the pain I feel in my back and want the pain to be over, I feel Jesus asking me, why? Well, because I don't like pain. Who, who does? But then the question goes even deeper. Why is it that, what is it that you really want me to do for you? Well, I want to live in joy. I want for my kids to know God, for me to be happy. So God says, do you just want me to fix you or do you have a deeper desire? I realize that at the end, my deepest desire is met by him and I can come to a place of being grateful, even if my back pain will never go away. If we reflect on the question of COVID-19 and how we all want this thing to be over. But why? Because, well, all of us are tired. We're stressed out of this situation. We don't want it anymore. There are people struggling, suffering. Jobs are being lost. Businesses are being closed. But why? Well, we, we want to be able to meet with our friends, with our loved ones. We want to be able to play sports. I want to be able to play sports. But, but why? Well, because I find joy in playing sports. And I love my loved ones. That's why they're called my loved ones. They make me happy. It gets me to a place where I recognize how grateful I am for, for all my loved ones, for the fact that I could still play sports. It gets me to look at my deeper needs and the places in my life that I attach myself to. So the question, what can I do for you by Jesus, helps us to look at our desires and our attachments. It helps us to realize that what we attach ourselves to, what we desire, shapes us greatly. That peeling off process of unattachment from our unhealthy desires can be a very painful process but it's also very necessary. So I want to invite you uh, in this time to a prayer, a time of prayer. As I read this story about Jesus and the blind man, I want you to close your eyes and imagine yourself as this blind man. And when Jesus asks you this question, I want you to respond. Think Think of it as him or imagine that he is asking this question to you personally, and let him dig deep into your deepest desires. What is the desire behind that desire? So after a few minutes of silence, then I will pray for us, and and then we will continue in worship.
Then they came to Jericho as Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city. A blind man, Bartimaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called to the blind man, Cheer up on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. And Jesus asked him, What do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? God, I, <clears throat> I thank you that you've created us with a deeper hunger and longing for you. That as we desire for things, as we, as we desire for joy and happiness and, and pleasure and love, as we search for those things, we end, back, end up back at you. And I thank you for that. At the same time, God, we recognize that there is much suffering and pain and, and sorrow. And we don't know why those things happen, that sometimes there is no answer. And we do recognize that those times can be very dark and very hard and very painful. But Jesus, I, I thank you that you are the light of the world, that you are the light that enters into our darkness, that you, refine, that you refine us, that you purify us, that you make us more like you. So help us to rest and to wait on you because you are the one who refines us that makes us new and I pray that, that you would help us to be able to set aside time for you to do this inner work in us that, that we be able to let you in to our deepest desires and places that we may not want you to shine your light in. But give us courage and faith that, that is needed to, to let you in, 
for you to, you to work in us and through us. Thank you, Jesus, again for, for who you are. And we pray all of this in your name. Amen.